Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 54, recorded October 6, 2023. Happy birthday to me. And it's brought to you by our sponsor, Electric. I'm your master of ceremonies and the birthday boy, Jason Snell. And with me as always, live from Las Vegas, where she's uh, in an undisclosed location. But, well, I just said it's Las Vegas. It's Julia Alexander, our director of strategy. Yay! I'm Kermit the Frog now. Hey! Hi, Julia. Jason, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. What are you doing for your birthday this this Traditional podcasting uh, on the traditional birthday (laughs) podcasting as we do. As we do. I mean, I'm honored to be able to spend an hour with you for your birthday. It's a special day. Extra special. We haven't talked in a a month because we did our little, you know, extra. Two weeks ago, I was in Memphis doing a, literally two weeks ago right now, I was in Memphis, Tennessee doing a 12 hour long podcast telethon for St. Jude. Um, thanks to everybody who donated. I assume some people out there who listened donated. We raised a lot of money for St. Jude in September. It was awesome. Yay. But uh, as a result, we waited uh, a month between uh, episodes. And, and this is why we can't do that, because everything happened. Like, literally. I know. Everything. It was inc- it's crazy how many things happened. happened. It's, so we're going to do a little whirlwind tour of what's happened the last month. And we're going to talk about that. Also got some letters at the end. Always love to hear from people um downstreamfeedback.com will get you to our feedback page and you can send us uh feedback for next episode i feel like jason yes i i just need to put my my disclaimer in yes. here because it might my, my audio for our listeners who i know are big audiophiles sure might be sounding a little bit different and that's because in tradition of julia traveling places i forgot my microphone yep. and so we are recording from the airpods and i just want to be able to call that out so that way our lovely listeners who do pay attention to this yeah. uh, I, i'm also wonder. aware of it friends they're not gonna wonder i'm it, also aware it's <laughs> it is one of these days one of these days we're gonna get you a microphone that you can like put in your pocket or something like a, or just or or like a microphone to leave in the suitcase suitcase microphone Something like that. Oh, suitcase microphone. I one love that days. idea. One of these days. Uh, that's when you know your real podcaster is if you've got the, <laughs> the traveling microphone, which I do. Um, okay. The Writers Guild of America strike is over. Uh, the SAG after strike is not yet, although it's expected that that will conclude based on a framework sort of hammered out between the writers and the producers. Um, a lot to cover here. That's why I wanted to put it first two things I think that are of interest in terms of what we talk about here on downstream. Uh, one is that the, this deal will reward projects that are viewed by 20% or more of a streaming services subscribers, domestic subscribers in the first 90 days of release or in the first 90 days in any subsequent exhibition year. So this is basically a metric based actual numbers on the inside Mm -hmm. of a streaming service, many of which have been very carefully, closely held. Um, This is the hit reward, basically. Like, if you have a hit for a service, you'll get paid extra um, as a writer. And then second, the union will have confidential access to the total number of hours streamed domestically and internationally of self-produced high-budget streaming programs, so, you know, original series like Netflix, but any of these streamers that they do themselves. And the union may share information with the membership in aggregated form 
as The Hollywood Reporter says. In other words, there will be somewhat more transparency, but the streaming services aren't exactly opening up their troves of data for public consumption. But you and I have talked about this a lot, and I know I talked about this a lot with Tim Goodman on the TV Talk Machine as well. Hard to be a a creative person in Hollywood and not have numbers to say, see, I made a hit and not get paid in commensurate perhaps with your numbers. And this is the first deal that's cracked the numbers in any way, even though it's maybe not ideal. Like we're seeing it for the first time that there will be numbers in the mix in terms of compensation for writers in Hollywood. Yeah. What's really I have a bunch of mixed feelings about this. So on the one hand, it's great that we are finally getting some information from the studios who have been so um, hesitant to reveal anything. And part of that is because it makes it then harder to negotiate with talent agencies and lawyers and production companies. And obviously they would love the upper hand, which Jace and I have talked about in this podcast. But the other thing is that if we really got into the data of the several thousands of TV shows and films made for streaming platforms, it would showcase that most of these series and most of these films are not hits. And if anything, they're actually barely performing at all, which would not only send shockwaves through the talent community and through Hollywood, but Wall Street would probably feel very, very concerned about streaming even more so than they already are. And the question I have for you, Jason, because here's what I've been thinking a lot about. Um, in my line of work, I think a lot about the context of numbers. It's it's a lot of what do these numbers actually mean? My, you know, kind of uh, lifeline that I live by is that numbers without context is just information that doesn't mean anything. And so when we think about what's happening with the new bonus payout system, which is is really great. Um, And when we think about what these new transparency for these numbers mean, they actually still aren't attached to any form of a benchmark. We actually don't know what the average series is doing on a Netflix or a Disney Plus. We don't actually know what the full numbers are for who's getting paid out based on this success-based system. One of the questions I had for a couple of lawyers I was talking to is if you take something like Netflix splitting up its seasons. And although we can all agree that Stranger Things, both parts of that would would, would very much surpass the 20% of a domestic viewer, uh, consumer, uh, excuse me, 20% of a domestic subscriber base watching at least the full season in full. Uh, in full. I suspect uh, like what happens if you were to split that season up into two and then where does the 90 day start? Where do we mm. look at full context of the season? How does that break down? Is that a way for the streamers to kind of circumvent this ability to get around the WGA and potentially say after. And I'm curious in on your thoughts in this, because I want to be clear, it's very transformative and it's a great win for the WGA. That's It's a really strong win, but I think it's kind of the first very, very small peeling back of the giant uh, uh, piece of cake that we really need to, in order to really dig into, you have to see the whole picture. Yeah, it is, you got to start somewhere is my, is my kind of overall feeling is the numbers are in the mix and trying to find a way to reward success is in the mix. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, on one level, you need to see, once you've got these rules, if you're the WGA, then you look at the behavior of the streamers and see what they're reporting. And, you know, on one level, you just want to, you know, if there's shenanigans to be had, you kind of need to set some rules and then see if there's shenanigans or not. Uh, keep, keep in mind, this is a business where you don't take profit participation because the bookkeeping is such that incredibly successful projects will never break even. 
Um, so there's a there is a fundamental lack of trust on a lot of fronts because it's just that's how Hollywood works is is they they you know will will lie about things in order to save money. However, to manipulate your release schedule and other things like that just to avoid paying the writers of your most successful show a little bit more. You know, I don't know. I'm not sure if anybody's going to actually do that. And if they do, then right. they then lesson learned. Next negotiation is going to be different. But it this is very much a bonus for the the people who create the hugest hits, which does seem to be, uh, ha, you know, has been a huge motivator in this negotiation. Is there are these enormous hits, and we don't share in the success of it. And I've seen mm-hmm. it's funny there. It's fascinating to see people's reactions to this stuff because I've also heard the opposite, which is it's something that you mentioned, which is, I don't know, once you see the numbers, you're going to see that most of these things are not the runaway successes. And it's like, I, I guess that's true. If I was somebody who was a writer on a show that was critically acclaimed and had a noisy fan base on social media and it gave the impression that the thing that I worked on was really resonating, but it never shows up in the Nielsen ratings and it doesn't show up on these reports. There, The more information that's out there for something like that, that isn't actually successful, but is critically successful and has a fan base, that would be hard, right? Because you can't, you not, it's right. not going to make you any more money. It's probably going to be hard for you to, um, harder for you to prove that you're worth that next big hire, next big deal, whatever you negotiate for your next job. I I think that's true, but I think it's also kind of fair and kind of beside the point. Like in the end, this, everybody who writes on a TV show is getting paid. The point here is, yeah, but if it's stranger things and it ends up becoming a runaway hit, you should pay them more. And that's what this deal does. And I think that's okay. Yes, absolutely. I, I think the other part of this, which what you said is perfectly well, perfectly put, Jason, this is a stepping stone to really investigating what they need to change down the road, what what right. is work, what will end up working continuously down the road. The other part of this equation that I think about, though, is that not every view is created equally. And so if we look at, take the, so, so, the, so the new rule for this bonus paid system is that you need 20% of the domestic audience to have watched a hundred percent of the season or the title in order to get this 50 percent payout so if we look at the united states and for netflix hypothetically let's assume that 10 percent of the current subscriber base for you is canadian you're looking at about 68 million subscribers um, domestically so if you're looking at about what does that equate to just a little bit more than 10 million um if you, if you kind of look at what that audience would need to do you're, what, what Netflix is stating is that you just have to have completed views, which is great. I'm not trying to de- deter from viewership. My argument is that because not every view is created equally, there's a question of, of those somewhat more than 10 million views, if you were to bring in, let's say, 11 million new subscribers, that's a nice right. pocket change for Netflix, right? That is new customers coming to the service. If you were to engage low-risk churn subscribers, so customers who were not going to cancel, they're probably highly engaged on the platform anyways, it's not that that viewership is less valuable, but the actual value of the title to the creative business of Netflix is a little bit less valuable. And so what these 
writers and showrunners and actors need to know, and of course their teams behind them, is a question of, well, what did my show do for your platform financially? And if the finance of the platform was deeply impacted uh, by this show or by a film or, or by a talent being, you know, thinking of a special doing something that's really, really captivating for an audience that's being brought that's being brought in or for a high risk churn audience, that's a little bit more valuable to the overall health of the platform and therefore more valuable to Netflix than another title. And it is not to, again, say that viewership is bad. Of course, viewership is the heart, it's the heartbeat of, our, of this industry. But within a closed garden ecosystem that is reliant on reducing churn and increasing subscribers or reducing churn to the point that you can then better monetize those subscribers at higher rates through price increases over the course of the next several years the what those titles do are extremely important not just in the viewership but in their actual activity within consumer behavior and i think that is where i would have stressed that this is really important but again to echo jason who's 100 percent right this is the first stepping stone to even be ha- even having those conversations. Right, because something will go wrong or somebody will be like, oh, that didn't really work. But they're taking their shot here. It's like this is a – I, I was going to say it's a proxy for success. It's not. It's like this is the metric that they've decided to go with and like let's see what happens. And and yeah, either side or both sides will come to the, the bargaining table next time and say, okay, this didn't work for us because – and they'll – they'll try to tweak it or throw it away and replace it with something else. But you got to start somewhere. I think it's interesting. So a couple things that you said really struck me. One is not every view is created equal. And that's absolutely true. And was true traditionally, right? Like once total viewership became supplanted on network TV by demographics, suddenly you could have the most popular uh, show by total viewers. It's a very CBS let less Moonvis thing to talk about, right? Number one in total viewers, but it turns out the the average viewer is like sixty eight, and then you've got a show that is viewed by way fewer people, like um like the X Files on a Friday night back in the nineties, and it's like I don't know the average viewer of the X Files on a Friday night in the nineties probably in their twenties. And it's like that that is way more valuable, even though it's a smaller number because not every person is is uh, equal. And so the, my my argument, I guess, would be the business model will win out because the streamers will value the things that are valuable to them. And so to a certain degree, I think that'll all work out. I do. I am fascinated by the idea, though, that the, you know, something like like you. OK, so you posted on Twitter on the second anniversary of Puck uh, and and talked about. It's it's a it's a great site. I'm so glad that I pay for a subscription there. There's my plug for Puck. It's not just your column, Thank but you. there are other great columns there. It's great. But um, one of the things you pointed out in one of your tweets around then was um, that I assume you can see like the subscriptions that your pieces generate. You mentioned that mm-hmm. sort of in passing, and that's mm-hmm. what interests me. Is it seems to be, and I think I saw a quote from somebody at the WGA about this that. The unions are reluctant to become more specifically business partners of the streamers because that would be the other way to do this is to say, let's do a metric based on did my show bring in, but but it just gets messy. Is it bringing new? Is it is it keeping people from churning, maintaining an existing audience that's happy? Like, And I think the WGA is like, look, we don't want to go that deep. Just give us total views. 
in your subscriber right. base and and then we walk away cuz that's all we can that's all we can handle so i think that's i think that's the idea is that ultimately if it's not valuable to them um they will deprioritize it and they won't order as much of it they won't pay as much for it and it'll it'll work itself out but it is interesting to see that there are deeper levels of of business you know how the business values it that I think maybe rightly, but certainly interestingly, that the union is not willing to go. Like they don't want to end up having to have a discussion with Netflix over writers get paid more if their shows bring in new subscribers, right? And that that's like they don't want well, to go and, that far down. And each each show is designed to do different things. I would never say this to creatives because you can't go to a creative and say, "Here's the." purpose of what your show is going to do on this platform right the purpose of that show existing is that it came from a creative's heart and 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 other writers and other actors and that's a very very uh clear achievement for them and so i'd never want to take away from that putting on the kind of mba studio side hat especially on a platform you know you brought the puck stuff and without getting too much into puck business because i would i would never do that what's kind of very clear about the structure that we have under the hollywood section is that myself and jonathan handel who reports who's a lawyer who we have as a columnist who does a lot of great work around kind of breaking down what's happening with the guild negotiations uh-huh. are there in in a capacity to support matt right we matt felony we don't write as often as matt does we i think both jonathan and i are weekly at this point we come right. in and, and we do um, a pretty good i think supplementary support of matt and offer something very unique to our subscribers in mm-hmm. its own capacity but we understand our role within that unit and we kind of understand our role within the puck ecosystem and how we drive this idea of a larger bundle and i think when you are on the studio side not every show is designed nor is it given the budget to be a stranger thing right shows fill certain needs and shows fill certain moments and certain holes within a slate optimization portfolio optimization it doesn't mean that one show is less good or not as vital as another show it just means that within that slate the priority of what you're trying to accomplish with these series changes and and this is kind of my point about thinking about context beyond pure numbers or pure information it is what is the goal of my title obviously to attract an engaging right. audience that's never going to change but how does my title at its cost level fit into supporting the structure of this bundle from both an active hardcore fan of the platform to a passive fan who's coming in for a bundle and who's better served by a bundle and how does that increase advertising opportunity all those different questions i think become very important now the the, the part of the issue and this is not an issue because no one should have to think about this unless they are directly involved with it. But I was talking to some lawyers um, a few days ago. We were talking about talent, the negotiations happening. And they said to me bluntly, they're like, actors are these very creative humans who don't necessarily care about the business as long as you know it's it's there they want to be able to work and they want to be able to make a living wage like that's all they care about. And so there is this part that's like, why would an actor maybe care about the business structure of what's left slate and portfolio optimization at Netflix. And I'm not saying that they should, if they do amazing. Like I work with a lot of um, talent who are very, very, very invested in these, in these areas. Um, And there's other talent I know who aren't as invested, but the point being that if we're going to provide them information, then it should be on the negotiation or the negotiators and ourselves who can help talk to a lot of talent about here's what is going to be vital to you understanding your role within the space and your value within the space and the ability to better negotiate within the space. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And and right, the actors are a little bit different from the writers. Um, another thing I wanted to point out here, again, I guess, is um, how much of this is just is is accidental hit insurance. There's this feeling like if you have the once-in-a-lifetime hit and you're a writer or anybody involved with it, it's a once-in-a-lifetime. Nobody expected it. It's just a little show. Everybody does it. And then it becomes the linchpin of the of the show or of the service that you're on. That what the, what this deal is trying to do a little bit is just say, look, if this thing explodes and is way more valuable than anybody anticipated, you got to cut the writers in for at least a little bit of the upside. That's really what they're saying. And if you, I, I was thinking about it in terms of Ted Lasso, right? That was not a high profile show. I was there when they unveiled their whole lineup of shows for at the Steve Jobs Theater for Apple TV Plus. And like Ted Lasso was not on anybody's radar. It was going to be the morning show, right? Like it was going to be C with Jason Momoa. And Ted Lasso, you know, is is the perfect example of that is way more than 20% of Apple TV Plus's domestic subscribers are there for Ted Lasso, right? Like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And although they, you know, they they did more seasons and they paid those people well, and, and, and a lot of those writers and certainly actors have had their careers elevated by it. But if you're just a staff writer who's not on the show, uh, you know, as an actor, and you're just writing episodes of Ted Lasso and it's a huge hit, it, it's probably fair at that point to be like, yeah, okay. You get some more money because that was a huge hit. Like, you deserve it. But that that's almost what the insurance is. It's like, look, just mm-hmm. cut us in. If you are making money hand over fist on this thing and and we made it, cut us in a little bit. And and maybe this will change and grow and become a, a lot more expansive than it is right now because it is fascinating that this negotiation, I mean, this detailed part of it is only about the hits. That's all that they're concerned about yeah. is if it's a hit, give us some more of the upside. That's it. Now, in the long run, they may have a very different view of what the numbers are. Well, I think I think that makes sense. I mean, this industry, that that is actually one of the few things that hasn't changed. If we think about how this industry has worked within television for years, we've always rewarded hits. If we've, we've, we've rewarded bonus for uh, participation that excels. If you think about right. what that looked like in the residual days in TV, I mean, it's very kind of similar to this. And then of course the big moment was by the fifth season, there was syndication deals, mm-hmm. especially exactly. if you were, and if you had part ownership in that, if we go about Seinfeld, right? Like the idea is then that you would profit for years off these titles and that there were a- aspects of paying out bonuses for prefer exceptional performance. I think within streaming, one of the issues that we run into, which we kind of saw within the eighties and nineties and especially, sorry, sorry, not the eighties and nineties, excuse me, the nineties leading into, into the two thousands people, I think maybe forget this, but, um, or, or maybe are unaware of it. If we look at what happened with the eighties and nineties, early nineties, it was, nearly impossible for a lot of the networks to actually own the studios. So the studios were selling to the networks and that meant that the residuals that were being paid out for talent were a lot easier to understand from an accounting perspective. It was more difficult to hide it. If you were to look at what happened in the 90s and 2000s, you all see where I'm going with this, you started to see a lot more networks by the studios. So a great example that I heard from someone is if you look at House, which was an NBC series sold to Fox and Bones, which was a Fox series produced by 20th Century Fox, the residual and payout system for the House team 
were very, very easy to understand. They got paid millions on it. That's fantastic. With Bones, it went to litigation, right? There was this aspect of we don't know how you're doing the accounting and we don't know what we're getting or how much we're owed. And what has effectively happened over the last 15, 20 years is that that's, that Fox example has now become the go-to standard within Hollywood. Mm. So no one actually knows how to create the definitions that then create the back-end deals they can then argue in order to get their proper residual. And the less that we have being sold into from from studios and into networks, into platforms like a, like a Netflix, like an Amazon, like an Apple TV+, and the more that they consider themselves studios who produce their own original content, the more difficult this, this really becomes. And so I think there's these conversations happening too around the idea of definition and how we're looking at internal accounting, which I will not get into because I imagine people do not want to listen to uh, conversations about amortization, but uh, (laughs) there is this aspect that comes with these deals as well. And so really, this is the start of it. And I'm hoping that as we learn over the next few years, what is working, what isn't, that by the next renewal that comes around, we can kind of edit some of these, these, these negotiations. But I think it's a really strong win for the WGA so far. All right, let's take a brief break. Let me tell you about our sponsor. We do have one. This episode of Downstream is brought to you by Electric. When leading your small business, it's not all glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours onboarding an employee, which you are well-equipped to deal with, but maybe you just don't have the time. The team at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, and how they face these challenges. That's why they're on hand to help with time-consuming parts of your business, like standardized device security with best-in-class device management software so you can implement best practices across the board, and employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving you an average of eight hours per request. Plus, Electric will help you keep a single point of visibility into your entire IT environment, controlling your devices, networks, and applications, while simplified reporting allows you to achieve and maintain compliance, and proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows make IT easy to manage, even for non-technical users. And look, if you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of these services, but you're not sure where to start, Electric's experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. Super important to have them. A lot of small businesses like the one that I started nine years ago. You start small, you're not thinking about it, you grow, and then all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, I'm supposed to have device policies and I've got people onboarding and offboarding and I'm doing that myself. Shouldn't I be doing something better with my time? Yes, you should. Now, for downstream listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash downstream. That's electric.ai slash downstream. Go there now. Get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Thank you to Electric for supporting Downstream. All right, before we go, time for a few letters um, really quickly. Downstreamfeedback.com to send yours in. Jason... Uh, not me, wrote in, Jason M, wrote in to say, um, more fodder for Sports Corner uh, and the rapidly changing RSN news. Um, Any chance I'll be able to buy a monthly stream for Space City Home Network? Uh, I just wanted to point out that this is another example of what's happening with RSNs. In this case, the RSN is not, uh, AT&T Sportsnet in Houston uh, is not going bankrupt, uh, instead, it's been sold to the Houston Astros and the Houston Rockets. They have bought their RSN, r- will rebrand it the Space City Home Network, and 
assuming Jason doesn't live in Houston, uh, the answer is no, because the way that this is all broken out is the regional sports networks and the regional sports network streamers are are in your in the region in the home region, which allows them to charge more. If you're outside of it, you would buy the product from MLB or from the NBA or whatever. But if you're in Houston or in the geographic territory of AT&T Sportsnet for Houston, um, next year that will be a cable company owned by the Astros and the Rockets. And um, Jason's question about streaming, if Jason is in Houston, I bet yes is my answer because the Astros and and the Rockets want you to be able to watch even if you're a cord never or a cord cutter. And so why not? Why would they not? It's got to be part of the plan, right? I got to yeah, think so. It's, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. 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 But I love that. Like those, those the teams, like we'll just buy it. <laughs> we'll just, we're just going to buy it. Very interesting. Um, as opposed to like the Padres and the, and the Diamondbacks who basically Major League Baseball said, we'll just make a new channel just for your games. Uh, another way to go. Yeah. Just, just about details. Okay. Ben from the 703. Love it. Uh, putting your uh, area code in there. That's a TV talk machine classic. Uh, notable holdout that stops me from canceling YouTube TV. And... Yeah, I'm the 703. Are you looking it up? 703, 703 area it's, code? Yeah, Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia. Washington, D.C. All right. In Manassas, Fairfax, Alexandria. All right, Ben. Notable holdout that stops me from canceling YouTube TV, and it's not sports. It's Jeopardy. Oh, yes, Ben. Mm. I'd like to be able to watch Jeopardy on demand and on some streaming service, but I can't seem to find it on any of the streamers. My only option seems to be to pay for YouTube TV or Hulu Live or some other VPD and record it that way. Is that likely to change anytime soon? I think Sony should make a deal with one of the streamers. Love to your mothers. I, it's funny. I tell people that the reason I have Fubo is for sports and Jeopardy, and it's true. It literally is true that that's what it's for at this point is sports and Jeopardy. Jeopardy is produced by Sony, but it has a very tight deal with uh, ABC stations, many of which are owned by ABC now. Of course, Disney may sell ABC. That's going to be interesting if that happens. Um, I don't know the answer here. This seems to be one of the very last bulwarks against cord cutting is Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, which are extremely successful game shows in syndication on local stations, and it saves yeah. the local stations. So I don't know. What do you think, Julia? What what happens to Jeopardy? Is it going to be the last thing, I, I the mean, last guess, thing on cable? I guess there's like a aspect of what the digital rights they could do with those are but i don't i think they get paid sony so well from Mm -hmm. just the sheen of that system that there's no real reason to bring it live or next day i think what would be really interesting down the road as it continues to erode is to look into something like a fast that has connections to a streamer and network so like a pluto which is then paramount plus and cbs i think there's an interesting world within there where you could probably charge a considerable amount to to do some fun stuff across all three access points fox and tubi being another one but for now i just I, i i i mean unless they want to chase a younger audience but i think sony's pretty happy with its payment structure right now that it's Another, and again, this could change. But another I, scenario, I anything. separate from from Hulu with Plus Live TV and YouTube TV, you know, Paramount Plus gives me my local CBS station. So one scenario here, especially, I mean, it, the future of Disney is the big question mark here. But one scenario is you could have 
let's say Hulu with um, adding a feature, which is your local ABC affiliate streams live, whether you have Hulu plus live TV or not, you get that channel, in which case you would be able to see Jeopardy on there. But it does have value, but that, that's this is Jeopardy feels like sports five years ago, where it's right now its value is inflated by the fact that it is actually one it is a good performer on broadcast, and also they make so much money because it is it is on the local station that there is no alternative. But at some point, people are going to say, "Yeah, but we really need to offer this for the people who aren't watching on local TV because we're missing them and we're losing them." Um, also, interesting quirk about Jeopardy. I'm a big Jeopardy fan. Uh, is they are now doing primetime um, throughout the year. They're doing different primetime things on ABC, and those are on Hulu. So one of their strategies seems to be to do content on the network in primetime that does stream, and then separately they have the syndication that's five nights a week that's just on local channels. Uh, but but I hear you, Ben. I don't know the answer. Um, if I If I'm ever on Jeopardy, I'll ask. How about that? If you see me back there, I'll, I'll ask Ken Jennings and see what he has to say. One last one before we go, and this is great. I, I lived this one this week, too. Jeff writes in to say, The new season of the excellent Taskmaster, great show from the UK, is starting again. And unlike previous years where there wouldn't be a legal way to see them in the U.S. for months, this year they are showing them next day on YouTube. What are the economics behind this? Is it just too cult a show to license to Hulu or Netflix? Maybe they can't fight piracy. Or are we watching YouTube becoming the de facto home to content when you want global reach and not to have to deal with messy licensing? I have a theory here, Jeff, which is that, yes, if, if they could get a streamer in the U.S. to pay for Taskmaster, they would do it. And it sounds like they, they can't. <laughs> Or they or whatever they were offered is not that great. And they have a channel. They do have a streaming service, actually, for all their old episodes. It sounds like the producers of Taskmaster, which is on Channel 4, I think, in the UK, just decided, you know what? We'll just put it on YouTube with, with ads. And let me tell you, there are so many ads. <laughs> so many ads in Taskmaster on YouTube. But it's there for free if you're in the US and you can watch it the next day, which is awesome. I think that's great. But... Economically, my guess is that the ads on YouTube are not going to pay what may be a um, – unless they're barred, unless they've got a deal somewhere where the, somebody's got the rights in the U.S. and they're not exercising them. But I'm sure that if Hulu said, no, 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 we'll pay you to put Taskmaster on Hulu, they would say yes. But for whatever reason, they they haven't been offered. They should be given all the money. It's a great show, but they haven't been. And I love that they have this lateral thought, which is like, let's just put it on YouTube and make money on the ads. And so that's what they're doing. So I hope they make a lot of money on the ads. I don't know if you've ever I seen Taskmaster. See I think you're going to see a lot. No, I haven't seen it, but I, everyone's going to tell me too. So I'm going to make time for it. But I, um, I think you'll see a lot more of this, by the way. I think there's, there's also YouTube is really experimenting with how they're inserting ads into certain shows as well as the pre-real, sorry, pre-roll, mid-roll. Um, and it is seeing a nice increase in ad revenue for a lot of content creators and some um, content partners. And I do think YouTube's reach, YouTube's desire to kind of be this cross-universe stop from YouTube TV, YouTube and YouTube Shorts, and its ability to kind of find global content that it can then circulate globally as well and really find those audiences and, and produce ad revenue on. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more companies look to YouTube 
as a not last resort. I don't think YouTube is a last resort, but as a really unique play. Mm-hmm. And it, it all depends on the cost. So what Jason was saying is a huge point here, right? Like if no one else is licensing it, it's not like they're losing a billion dollars by taking it from a licensor and going to YouTube. They're saying, hey, this is a, a company that we think we can generate revenue on. And also we don't have many other bidders giving us a, a huge amount of money. So this is different from a lot of other companies who are saying, oh, well, Netflix will give us, you know, a um, hundred million for like six months access. There's a different situation there, but I do think for YouTube there is a very specific type of content that works well across all three of their platforms that also reaches a very strong global audience and increases advertising and attention share on the platform. And I think you'll see more of these deals come to come to fruition. Yeah, not only is it a good show, but uh, and, and they are doing interesting things. So in addition to this YouTube thing, which which yeah, I mean. Honestly, if you have the rights and you have no other way to monetize it, you could either hold it or you could just say, well, let's just put it on YouTube. The super fans have been pirating it on YouTube for years anyway. Just put it on YouTube with ads. Exactly. And and if it's a YouTube uh, uh, premiere subscriber, they don't see the ads and then they get money from those subscribers. So there's a bunch of ways to do it. I'll point out the other interesting thing behind, you know, that, that the Taskmaster people have done is in their normal, in their wonderful sense of humor – they have a streaming service. It's called Taskmaster Supermax Plus. <laughs> um, and seriously, and it has every episode of all 16 series from the UK and all their international versions. There are lots of international versions of it, too. And you basically pay a fee and you get access to their entire catalog, which is also kind of brilliant. If you're a super fan of the show, yeah. you can just pay them and you get it all. So they're trying different stuff. Yes. I love it. And I agree with you. I think we'll see more stuff like this where... You know, you could you could try to cut a deal with Acorn or BritBox or something like that, or you could just say, you know what, we'll just put it on YouTube in all these regions where where we're not selling it and monetize it. YouTube will monetize it for us, and we're done. Something to be said for that, mm-hmm. and people will find it, mm-hmm. and maybe it'll spread. The algorithm will spread it by word of mouth, and people make clips, and like whole platform is there already. Maybe it's good. Yeah. All right, if you have a question for us downstreamfeedback.com. Love to your mothers. We love to hear from you. Put the area code in there too. We love that. Then Julia can look up what area code you're from. I love to learn area codes it's, for my burgeoning hip hop career. So this is great. It's great. It's great. I was, I'm from the 209. You're from the 416, right? I'm from the 416. And now I have a, uh, I was about to give out my phone number. I have a New York <laughs> Yeah, I have a, area code. it's probably not a 212 or a 718. It's probably some weird overlay. I am a 415 um, now, but I was yeah. a, I, w- I was born, I was well, not born. I was born in the 415, which is now the 510. Anyway, from but but repping the 209 all the way. Um, and I, I know that Toronto's 416 because um, sometimes people misdial 415. I got a lot of very early morning phone calls from people who dialed 415 instead of 416. Um, so and now we're, and now we're six, four, seven. Actually, I think yeah. now it's like two, eight, nine, yeah. but yeah, area codes are fun. They're, they're, they're wild. Anyway, downstreamfeedback.com. Love to your mothers. If you are not a downstream plus subscriber, this is the end of the show, but in the downstream plus version, Supermax plus, maybe we also talked a little bit more about how the writers shouldn't get blamed for the WGA strike and that, uh, the, the, the things that are coming next, were going to happen anyway. We talked about max, the streaming service actually getting interesting. We talked about Amazon charging or showing ads to prime video people and how uh, Disney and charter made a deal 
and love each other. Um, and uh, every other episode, most of the show is available just for supporters. So to support us, go to downstream.plus. You'll get full versions of every episode, access to the wonderful Relay FM Discord, bonus shows from Relay FM, and much more. That brings us to the end. You can find Director of Strategy Julia at ParrotAnalytics.com and, of course, the excellent two-year-old Puck.News. You can find me at SixColors.com. I appear on many other podcasts here at Relay and at TheIncomparable.com. And that's it for this fortnight. We'll be back in two weeks. But until next time, Julia, say goodbye. I promise I will have a microphone next time. Bye. (laughs) 